Hello there, and welcome to another episode of Cloud9Fit, a podcast all about how companies borrow money and also about what happens when they can't pay it back. I'm your host, Will Cager Smith, coming to you from London this week, and today I'm joined by our deputy editor, David Bell, coming to you from the sandy shores of Newport, Rhode Island. Welcome, David. Hi, Will. Nice to NAIC you. <laughs> to NAIC you, nice. I see what you did there. <laughs> On a which note, we might as well get right into it. So, what is the NAIC, and why is it causing such a ruckus in the credit markets right now? So the NAIC is the National Association of Insurance Commissioners, and it's effectively an insurance regulator, although technically it's an association made up of state insurance regulators across the US. So it's kind of an industry group that exists to set the standards by which all of those individual state insurance regulators oversee the industry. Right. Okay. And... Yeah, you're, you're right that the NAIC is causing a ruckus in the credit markets, but that's that's not all. It's actually caused a bit of a stink among some Republican politicians too. Right, yeah, there was an angry letter a few days ago. Yeah, yeah we, can, we can get into that later, but just to go back to your first question, this whole situation has basically come about because the NAIC has taken a pretty aggressive stance around how securities as in the debt securities that insurance companies invest in are rated by credit rating agencies like Moody's S&P and Fitch. Right so we've covered some of this before on the podcast I think this all started last year when the NAIC said it wanted to impose new rules that would change capital charges so that's the amount of cash or highly liquid assets like government bonds that insurance companies would have to hold in reserve against their investments to offset any potential losses on those investments yeah. and in particular they wanted to change capital charges on CLO investments that's like right CLO, CLO debt and CLO equity I think yep that's right they, they were basically arguing that the rating agencies had made some incorrect assumptions about the risks of investing in CLOs and they wanted to modify those capital charges to reflect their own in-house view on what those risks are right gotcha and for listeners who may not be aware um, we should probably explain a CLO is what exactly right so a CLO is a collateralized loan obligation. Mm -hmm. It's basically a portfolio of loans to sub-investment grade companies, which is then packaged up into bonds that are then sold to institutional investors like insurance companies. Mm -hmm. So the investors buy the bonds. This provides money for the CLO manager to invest in corporate loans. And those loans generate enough interest income for the CLO manager to pay interest to its bondholders. And then they keep whatever's left over. Mm -hmm. So the excess, in, yeah, the excess interest goes to the CLO manager and whoever owns the equity in the CLO vehicle. Mm -hmm. Got you. Okay, right. And I guess crucial to this discussion is that the CLO bonds or tranches that the CLO manager is selling to investors like insurance companies have varying levels of risk, right? Yes, the bonds go all the way from AAA ratings, so low risk, but also low returns down to double A, single A, and then triple B and double B. And those lower rating brackets are known as mezzanine debt. Mm -hmm. And then underneath that, there is the equity position in the CLO vehicle, which is uh, often also held by insurance companies. Yeah, that's, yes, that's right. Okay. So 
the NAIC basically said, we disagree with some of these ratings, or at least with the amount of capital that insurance companies are required to hold in reserve when they invest in these bonds of varying risk levels. Yeah, and they basically said they wanted to decrease the capital charges for some of the higher rated CLO tranches and also increase the charges for lower rated tranches like the mezzanine or equity tranches. Right. And for the insurance companies that mainly invest in MES CLO debt or CLO equity, I mean, there's insurance companies invest all, all up and down the CLO cap stack, but lots of them like the MES tranches or the equity tranches. These these kind of higher capital charges would be inconvenient because they would have to hold a bunch more capital in reserve against those investments. And that would drag on the return that the investment generates. Exactly. So, and if an insurance company is less inclined to invest in CLO debt, that creates problems for CLO managers because it, it reduces investor demand and, and makes it harder for them to raise money for a, a new CLO. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. So yeah, the CLO industry has kind of been fighting the NAIC on these proposals since last year. But but now that the NAIC has gone even further and it's made new proposals that have really, really got people riled up. Right. So this is the angry letter from the Republicans that you were talking about earlier. Um, mm-hmm. So so what are they suggesting with these new proposals? Why has it got people so, you know, so exercised? Well, they're saying that they want the power to not only challenge third party ratings and the risk weightings on CLO instruments, but to challenge the rating of any debt instrument. So Mm. in theory, this could extend to high yield bonds, asset backed securities, maybe even investment grade bonds. Mm -hmm. And by challenging those ratings, they would compel insurance companies to seek a kind of alternative rating from the NAIC itself, which they're calling a credit designation. Right. So, I remember when the NAIC came out with its initial CLO proposal last year, there were people that said it seemed like this regulatory body was kind of trying to become a ratings agency. But this proposal definitely sounds like the NAIC is positioning itself that way, kind of, you know, turning itself into a a ratings agency. I mean, whether you call it a, a credit designation or a credit worthiness grade or a borrowing score, whatever, it seems pretty clear that what they're talking about here is a rating that if we for whatever reason don't agree with the ratings from moody's or s&p or any of the other rating agencies you need to use our rating yeah you can you can start to see why some people in the clo industry were calling last year's proposals a, a land grab it's kind of like the naic is muscling in on on the rating agencies really mm-hmm. and i guess it's also important to mention that that the assumption is that there would be a charge for for those those uh, credit assumptions or whatever credit designations. Yes. Right. So clearly a lot of opposition in the CLO industry because of the broader context here. But what is it about this latest development, the kind of the application of uh, these proposals to any debt security um, that made these Republican politicians get involved now? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think it's it's worth noting that some of these Republicans, um, like Andy Barr, who is a House representative representative for Kentucky, mm-hmm. have been friends of the CLO industry for a while. He's spoken at some industry conferences in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's put forward bills that would, you know, soften the impact of the Volcker rule on the CLO market. That that kind of thing. 
Yeah, I remember writing about this a few years ago, and he actually spoke at one of the IMN structured finance conferences in in Miami a few years ago. Right, um, and in terms of this latest situation, that the Republicans have sent a letter to the NAIC arguing that this proposal would effectively turn the group into a de facto rating agency and a non-regulated rating agency at that. Right. So this is kind of meta. So the NAIC, which is a regulatory group, is positioning itself as a rating agency. And one of the issues these Republicans have is that this regulator that is trying to be a rating agency would its, would itself not be regulated. And exactly. With that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. So they're kind of implying that the NAIC is looking to profit from its position in the industry. And they mm -hmm. said in the letter, um, I'm quoting here, that using the NEIC's unique position to steer business through its commer commercial services while simultaneously incentivizing US insurers to stop using private sector rating ratings firms would be an unwelcome paradigm shift. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, I can see the argument for sure. Um, so, but, you know, the NAIC must have a counter argument. So, so what's their, what's their kind of uh, motivation or counter argument to, uh, to counter those claims? So they haven't responded to our request for comment on this latest development, but in terms of the original CLO proposals, they pointed out that in the past, um, that it doesn't universally increase the cost to insurance companies of, of investing in CLOs. And in some cases, it actually decreases it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, okay. so Eric Kolchinsky, who is leading this effort at the NAIC. Right. And who we should probably point out used to work at a rating agency. He did. That's right. Um, and it's definitely worth pointing that out. He actually said in February or March this year that senior CLO tranches and even some mezzanine tranches might get lower capital charges under the new framework. Mm -hmm. But it, it it still seems like CLO equity would probably get higher charges. Right. So basically they're saying it's not like this is a universally bad thing for CLO investors and CLO managers. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I think this is where it's also really important to point out that a lot of insurance companies that invest in CLO equity are backed by private equity firms. And private equity firms are some of the world's biggest CLO managers. Right. Yeah. Like Apollo, Carlyle. KKR, that kind of thing. So yeah, I think, like you said, that is a really important point here. This whole debate over CLO capital charges has kind of divided the insurance market into two camps. So on one side, there's those that are backed by private equity, like Athene, which is Apollo, uh, which is owned by Apollo, and Global Atlantic, which has a partnership with KKR, and insurance companies that are still independent on the other side, like MetLife or New York Life. Yeah, and you can you can kind of draw a line between that division in the in the insurance industry and the fact that when CLO risk retention rules were created after the two thousand eight financial crisis, right? This is um this is the rule that requires the or required the CLO manager to retain an investment interest in the CLO vehicle, like by holding the equity, for example. Exactly. So mm -hmm. so when those rules were created, that provided a, a, a big incentive for CLO managers to, to buy or to partner with insurance companies so that they could provide that risk retention tranche. So that those rules, the risk retention rules have since been repealed, but there's still kind of a lingering structural advantage for CLO managers that own insurance firms, just because it makes it so much easier for them to, to create new CLOs.
because mm-hmm. they have a sort of they have ready-made demand for yeah. the, the equity piece or you know pieces like the mez um okay so i feel like if you step back the implication at least is that these new rules from the naic kind of chip away at the competitive advantage of some of the big p backed clo managers and the p backed insurance companies in general especially with this kind of latest escalation to any security yeah that's that's definitely an important and potential implication mm-hmm. um and on that note these republicans who you know clearly don't like this new naic proposal and some of them have also fought against risk retention in the past they're kind of on the other side of this debate from more left-leaning politicians like Elizabeth Warren, mm. who argued a couple of years ago that risk retention rules should be reinstated. Yeah, I remember that. This was part of the um, the provocatively named Stop Wall Street Looting Bill, which was really about private equity, and it was kind of a uh, a small part of it. But we wrote about that at the time, and... I actually think one really interesting and perhaps unintended effect of reinstating risk retention could be that it would actually give even more advantage to the big P back to CLO managers because they already own entities like insurance companies that would just easily take the risk retention charge. So it wouldn't really be that much of an issue for them. But anyway, that's kind of beside the point. I suppose the main point is there's this emerging view that the NAIC is structuring rules that would have a potentially disproportionate impact on PE-backed insurance companies in particular, right? Yeah, sort of. Yeah, and and not to mention the other angle, which is the argument that the NAIC is trying to reduce the influence that the big rating agencies like Moody's and S&P have on the CLO market and how CLO investments are treated by investors, right? Yeah, that's the other kind of elephant in the room here. There's definitely a feeling among industry participants that this is an effort to muscle in on the on the fee pool for ratings mm-hmm. okay um but just to bring it back to the clo market i think one of the more immediate issues is that these proposals and especially the new the new naic proposals just adds more noise more headwinds to the market um at a time when it's just starting to get back on its feet after a really tough few months mm-hmm. yeah so CLO issuance is definitely starting to creep back up after a sort of a quite long, slow period. Um, so we've written about this a bit over the past couple of weeks. The pipeline is is building up. We've seen some middle market CLOs and there's been a recent flurry of broadly syndicated CLO issuance hitting the market, including some resets. Um, but yeah, it's definitely not been the best time over the past few months. And a lot of that, not all of it, but a lot of it is down to issues with various parts of the CLO investor base. So it kind of, it does make sense that the industry is a bit on edge about the NAIC proposals, given that they could impact investor demand for CLOs. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And there's other stuff too, like we haven't even touched on the the Kirshner case, which is in front of the courts right now. And that's, mm. that's about whether or not leveraged loans should be classified as securities, um, which has a ton of potential implications the CLO market if if the courts do decide that they are in fact securities right yeah and that's that's a massive issue it's kind of like a whole Pandora's box that we probably don't have time to open right now agreed (laughs) but it was it was kind of funny that the SEC kept asking for more time to weigh on weigh in on that case and then this week they finally said actually we just we just don't have a response (laughs) or we're not in a position to give a brief on it yeah I mean how dare we expect the securities regulator to weigh in on a decision about 
whether a certain asset class is or is not a security. Um, anyway, well, we should probably wrap it up there. Uh, so, as always, thanks, David. Thanks, Will. No problem. I'll close out by quoting the SEC's letter, which said, uh, we greatly appreciate the court's indulgence and regret any inconvenience this may have caused. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Uh, happy to give the indulgence. I'll, uh, I'll see you next time. Thanks, Will. All right. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. Thanks for tuning in. And please remember, you can get in touch with us anytime by emailing team at ninefin.com. And don't forget to check in with our London team next week. We'll be back the week after that. So until then, as always, stay cool and take care. <laughs>